University, we have Kenneth Funk, uh, who works in the Mechanical, Industrial, and Manufacturing Engineering Department. In the spirit of this conference of uh, walking humbly, and in the spirit of Michael Polanyi, he seems to be somewhat popular in this session, or was, I guess he left, I'll say that all of the assertions that I make here should be preceded by the phrase, I believe that. Technology is a manifestation of God's creativity in our own, and it's an appropriate response to God's cultural mandate. Thanks to technology, we all live longer, healthier, easier, more comfortable lives than did our ancestors. And particularly of interest to the attendees here, technology has been very instrumental in the spread of the gospel. Indeed, there's hardly an aspect of human life that has not been helped by technology. On the other hand, technology has harmed almost every aspect of human life as well. Besides that, which uh, Jacques Allal would call the ambivalence of technology, I could talk about several technology issues here today, but my topic is technological distraction. And my thesis is that technology can draw our attention from greater good to lesser good, and that is a kind of evil. In my presentation, I'll give an operational definition for technology. I'll explain what I mean by technological distraction and tell you how I came to an understanding of it, try to explain a little bit about why it might exist and offer some recommendations on what to do about it. First, let's look at the etymology of the word technology. It comes from the two Greek words techne and logos. Techne means art, skill, or craft. Also, the way, manner, or means by which a thing is gained. Logos is a word that should be familiar to uh, Christians. Uh, It means word, speech, utterance. It also, and this this has deep theological significance, although that's kind of a side issue. Uh, Also, logos means order or reason. It's equivalent to the Latin word ratio. Therefore, my working definition of technology is that it is rationally developed, or if you like, scientifically based means of uh, transforming, uh, means of transforming the physical world to achieve what we judge to be good results. A technological object, then, is an instance of technology. It is a device, a tool, an instrument, uh, an engineered system, a software program, a method, a technique that is to be used as a means to realize valued material ends. So technology as a means of value creation brings us into the scope of ethics. And since much of technology is developed by engineers, puts it squarely, I think, in the field of engineering ethics. I came to believe that technological distraction exists and is a problem in part from my work in human factors engineering research and the related science of engineering psychology. And I think that some cases, principles, and guidelines from these disciplines can provide us some insights into technological distraction and its remediation. Here's a case in point. 
Early in January of 1989, a British Midland Airlines Boeing 737 Model 400 was en route from London to Belfast. A turbine fan blade in its left engine fractured, fatigue failure. Um, the, the flight crew, however, misdiagnosed the problem and shut down the right engine. They shut down the good engine, so they're running on a bad engine. They diverted to East Midlands Airport. On the approach to the airport, they increased power to the left, that is the bad engine, which caused secondary damage, which resulted in a, a, lo a loss of thrust. The airplane crashed short of the runway, killing 39 passengers outright. Eight died later in the hospital. 74 occupants, crew, and, and passengers were seriously injured. Five received minor or no injuries. The accident investigators determined that the high cockpit workload distracted the pilots from noticing high readings on the left engine vibration indicator. In particular, the first officer was attempting to program the flight management system. Now, the flight management system is a dual redundant computer system that's integrated with the navigation, communication, autopilot, and power plant systems of the aircraft. And flight management systems have been very significant in improving navigation performance, flight control performance, and in reducing fuel burn. However, the, the flight management system has a cumbersome user interface, and the first officer was unsuccessfully trying to operate the FMS to display the approach pattern to the East Midlands Airport on the electronic map display. Now, it's important to understand that this was not a strictly essential task. That is, the flight crew could have requested from the air traffic controllers very precise directions to the airport and then just flown those headings and altitudes that were given to them. The FMS then, the, I should say the first officer, allowed himself to be distracted by the FMS away from the essential knowledge of understanding the true state of the aircraft to desired but unessential information um, about the approach. So he was distracted from a greater good of essential knowledge to a lesser good of, uh, of inessential knowledge. Now, those of you who might be flying home will be glad to know that accidents like that are very, very rare. However, FMS distractions in the cockpit are not uncommon. The U.S. Aviation Safety Reporting System is a very large repository of anonymous reports filed by pilots and air traffic controllers about near misses and incidents. And flight safety researchers like myself and a lot of others use ASRS incident reports to proactively identify problems that are taking place in our airspace and try to do something about them. And there are quite a number of ASRS reports talking about FMS distractions. There are reports that describe near collisions, climbing above or descending below assigned altitudes, exceeding permitted speeds, landing without clearance, and even landing on the wrong runway in part because one, or in some cases, both pilots were distracted while trying to do something with the flight management system. Of course, there are more things than FMS programming that can distract flight crews. For example, air traffic control calls at inopportune times or conversations with, with the cabin crew, those can be distractions as well. 
But we've done some research on this. One of my graduate students, Jennifer Wilson, did an ASRS incident report study in which she found that the rate of occurrence of distractions occurred more, it was, was greater, in advanced technology aircraft, that is, ones with FMSs, than in lower technology, older type of aircraft. Moreover, in a meta-study that we did for the Federal Aviation Administration looking at the general issue of automation problems in advanced technology aircraft, we found that the single, uh, one of the most important, one of the most significant issues, and we found about 100 issues, the most significant issue was the, how that automation can distract the pilots from the essential, the urgently important tasks of actually controlling the aircraft. This happens in other domains. We're beginning to look at the field of medicine, in particular distractions in the operating room. A British study we found cited um, a high frequency of distractions in the operating room, uh, approaching uh, three a minute. The highest frequency interruption was caused by what they call bleepers, or pager, or beeper. And in one operation, there were 21 beeper calls. Moreover, these beeper calls have a high level of interference with the surgical process. Now, in a related case, although not occurring ultimately in the operating room, was when a Minnesota surgeon was distracted by beeper calls while he was marking a patient's chart. He made an error on the chart, and later on he removed the patient's wrong kidney. Okay, so now the patient has one bad kidney. What do we learn from these, and what does it have to do with us as Christians that use technology? Well, in these cases, the pilot should attend first to the tasks of controlling the aircraft on a safe path to a safe arrival. Other tasks, navigating, communicating, doing non-essential system management tasks, serve good ends. That's important. They serve good ends. Indeed, some of them are necessary for the flight. But those good ends are merely instrumental to and therefore must be subordinate to the greater good of the immediate safety of the aircraft and its occupants. There is time for the subordinate tasks, but they must be scheduled and performed so as not to interfere with safe operation of the aircraft. In the same way, a surgeon's beeper call or cell phone could be very important. That could be a very significant thing. However, that good must be subordinate to the greater good of the health and safety of the patient to whom the physician is immediately attending. In all of these cases, pilots and a surgeon erred by allowing distractions caused by technological objects to divert their attention from more urgently important tasks to less urgently important tasks, and tragedies or near misses occurred. These cases have come to me to be a kind of metaphor. If we bring a temporal dimension into the philosophical notions of greater and lesser goods, we could say that these operators compromised greater goods for lesser goods, and that opens up a whole area for ethical inquiry. In particular, in compromising greater good for lesser good, these cases and others like them make me think when Jesus chided Martha for attending the meal preparations when she should have been listening to him, like Mary. By these cases, I'm also reminded of, uh, reminded of um, Augustine's um, warning to us that the turning from that which has supreme being to that which has less being 
is evil. The turning is evil. The philosopher Gottfried Leibniz put it most succinctly, for as a lesser evil is a kind of good, even so a lesser good is a kind of evil if it stands in the way of a greater good. Do these dangerous distractions in the cockpit and in the operating room caused by technological objects, do they, do they generalize to the broader activities in our everyday lives? I think they do. I believe that technological distraction is a subtle, common evil that causes us to compromise greater good for lesser good on a regular basis. It's an evil, though, of which I think most of us are scarcely aware. I'll explain what I mean, but first let me say what I intend when I talk about greater goods. Jesus taught us to seek first God's kingdom, and he cited as the greatest commandment, the one that we love him, love God with all our beings. From that, I understand that I should give very high priority to the activities of worship, to Bible study, to prayer, to Christian scholarship, and to teaching Christian principles and serving the church. Jesus taught that the second greatest commandment is to love others. And from that, I understand that I should give high priorities to activities devoted to providing for my family, to providing for the welfare of others, to fulfill the responsibilities of my calling, teaching, research, and service. Now, the technological objects that I have or have access to uh, can certainly facilitate these activities, and indeed, for some of them, they're even essential. But here are just a few examples of how I've allowed myself to be distracted by them. When I was on my church's uh, pastoral search committee, I tried to convert an Excel spreadsheet that I'd created in my work for evaluating faculty candidates to Quattro Pro so I could use it on my home computer. I ran into a lot of problems, if you've ever tried that, and with older versions, formatting and converting formulas and getting it to work the way I wanted it. And indeed, I never really got it to work the way that I wanted it to. In retrospect, I should have spent that time when I was at the computer, I should have spent that time reviewing the applications and thinking and praying about the pastoral candidates. Another example, once when my family visited a church where they used PowerPoint slides for the, the song lyrics and worshipped, um, a computer, a software error occurred, and it shut down the computer and the program, and from my perspective, it shut down the worship for several minutes. We didn't go back to that church. I'm a musician, and uh, some years ago I bought a keyboard and sequencer software for my computer so that I could create beautiful Christian music to use in worship. Well, I spent so much time experimenting with the different voices of the keyboard and learning the, the software features and functions that I never really got anything that was useful. And in retrospect, I wish that I had used those hours to develop my piano keyboard skills so I could be a better piano accompanist today. Lately, uh, I had to set up Internet service so I could do consulting. Um, 
And I was struggling uh, with a broadband problem, and I, 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 set it, I was able to set it aside until the next day. I decided that I couldn't do it next day. But just the thoughts, even though I, I ceased actively working on the problem, the thoughts distracted me from preparing for this presentation. Similar problems with computers and other technological objects have kept me from my family, from my university work, from my consulting In these and many other instances, technological objects have distracted me from greater goods to lesser goods. And I have to agree with Leibniz that this is a kind of evil. I call this technological distraction, and I'm pretty sure that happens to you too. Individually now, technological distractions might not seem to amount to much. I doubt that the examples that I've specifically described to you count for 100 hours in my life. But considering my long and pretty intimate relationship with technology, I fear that technological distractions have led me more than once to compromise, if not to outright break, the two greatest commandments. It is thus, I think, a significant problem. Let me give a general characterization of technological distraction. A technological object comes to my notice as a means of realizing some material good that's instrumental to a greater good. The instrumental good may not be necessary for the greater good, but by it, the technological object makes the greater good more accessible to me, or so I believe. For example, the candidate evaluation spreadsheet should have made it easier to evaluate pastoral candidates. The keyboard and the sequencer should have made it possible to perform more complex and beautiful music in worship without the fear of making mistakes in the performance. But that instrumental good comes at a high cost. And I don't mean a monetary cost, although that could be substantial. I mean a cost of my time and attention devoted to the acquisition, learning, and maintenance of the technological object, which is its means. It takes time and attention, for example, to learn enough to acquire the technological object. It takes time to acquire it, to learn how to use it. It takes time and attention each time to prepare it for use and then to use it. It takes time to overcome difficulties with using it, and there are many. It takes time to deal with the negative consequences of using the technological object. It takes time to maintain it. And it takes time and attention to dis dispose of or recycle or donate or sell it when I'm done with it. Moreover, the technological object and the instrumental good that it uh, can make can take on a kind of intrinsic value in themselves to the point that I focus on them to the exclusion of the greater good that I sought in the first place. And the instrumental good and the technological object open up all kinds of opportunities and possibilities to realize other material goods, all lesser goods, most of which are not particularly instrumental to greater good. So now my time and my attention have been diverted from the greater good to which I originally aspired. The technological object intended as a means ultimately to a greater good has become an instrument of distraction. To the extent that there's no net gain in the greater good that I could have realized without the technological object, I've, been, I've sacrificed that greater good for a lesser good which Leibniz, Augustine, and I fear even Jesus would call an evil. Why does this happen? Let me sum up um, what I believe. And here again, I'm, I'm going to use cockpit and OR distractions as a metaphor and turn again to human factors and engineering psychology for some possible answers. 
First, experimental and engineering psychology research has shown that we naturally have limited capacity to attend to multiple stimuli and tasks simultaneously. We have, as it were, a functional bottleneck in our information processing abilities. Our working memory, which can be described as a temporary repository for the information which we're focusing on at the moment, uh, has very limited capacity and duration. When we attempt to perform two tasks simultaneously, uh, there's a performance deficit in at least one of the tasks. This can be explained, at least in part, by the concept of a limited pool of mental resources that must be allocated among all concurrent tasks. Indeed, the only way that we can perform two or more tasks simultaneously is that when at least one of them has become so routine and automated that it requires no attentional control. And in the presence of stressors like time pressure, fatigue, anxiety, and fear, our capability for attending to more than one task at a time is even more diminished. In short, we're severely limited in our ability to do more than one thing at a time that requires conscious, effortful thought. Second, when we face multiple concurrent tasks, we don't prioritize, prioritize them very well. Some simulator experiments we've done at Oregon State suggest that humans don't properly take account uh, the value or the importance of tasks. In a flight simulator experiment, pilots prioritize tasks based on their perceptions of how important the tasks were, how well they were performing the tasks, and how close they were to the deadlines that the task must be formed in. They're also influenced by the salience of the tasks, that is, how conspicuous to them the tasks were. Another study we did that applied fuzzy modeling to data from another simulator experiment supported the hypothesis that indeed humans prioritize based on perceived task importance, task status, and task urgency. But other psychological research shows that our judgments are clouded by a host of cognitive biases that reduce our performance in decision-making. So we're fallible task prioritizers in technical domains, and I think that it's reasonable to assume that the same fallibilities apply to our prioritization of activities in everyday life. Finally, and third, uh, technological objects can themselves be inherently distracting. They're everywhere around us. They're conspicuous. They are, as my students call it, cool. They're such that our culture pushes them on us. Their use demands attention to operate them accurately, to operate them safely, and because of the noise and other salient stimuli that they generate. Also, they are often difficult to use due to poor design, and that's often due to the fact that engineers don't make very good representative users and don't design from a human perspective. God, by his grace, granted us the ability to create truly beneficial technology. Our technological creativity is, in, is a part of the Imago Dei. But in this fallen world, technology, like everything else, can and does turn to evil. If you agree with me that there is a problem here, then you must ask what we can do about it. Fortunately, God and his grace provides some solutions. First, we can be aware. As users, we can be aware of this problem. We found in two flight simulator experiments that pilots can indeed be trained to prioritize tasks correctly. And in my, the case of my distraction by the Internet installation problem, I was able to realize what was happening, that I was actually experiencing the very phenomenon that I wanted to talk to you about today. And so I was able to turn my attention to preparing for this presentation. 
We can set boundaries about what we use technological objects for and when and where we use them. And we can, in some cases, completely relinquish or reject technological objects that are particularly distracting. We, as designers, engineers, designing products, can focus on the application of technology to serve truly important needs, such as our plenary speaker referred to this morning. And in so doing, we can adopt a more human-centered approach to developing technological objects so that they require less attentional demand. In summary, technology I define as rational means to valued ends. Technological distraction is attention to the use of a technological object as a means to a lesser good to the extent that a greater good is compromised and it is a kind of evil. Human factors engineering and engineering psychology provide metaphors, explanations, and countermeasures for dealing with technological distraction. By God's grace, technological distraction can be avoided and mitigated by users through awareness and prudence and by product developers through human-centered design. Thanks for your attention. All right, and time for... Uh, I assume you're aware of organizations like Chaifu, uh, Human Interface uh, Design. Sure. Uh, books that I like, like uh, Alan Cooper's The Inmates Are Running the Asylum, which essentially were the inmates of the asylum trying to run it for other people. And uh, a book I would suggest that it, it's on website design, but it has a lot of general applications, is Don't Make Me Think by Stephen Krug. And uh, there, there are uh, a whole number of books out there essentially about limiting the amount of attention that uh, uh, a person has to put into their technological objects, which I w wish a lot more engineers would read. Yeah, th thanks. So the, uh, uh, the question is... Um there's a lot where the point is that there's a, there's a lot of useful information out there. In fact, human factors engineering has been around since before World War II, and, and our whole discipline is addressing usability. It's come to the attention of the uh, computer community in the last 20 years. Uh, it's called usability engineering, but it's usability engineering is human factors engineering applied to, to software systems. So some principles, limiting complexity, designing for compatibility with uh, users' mental models and so on. Those are the kinds of things that, that I know that the books that you're talking about refer to. So there are some things that we can do, but unfortunately, a lot of engineers don't get that. I guess my question is, how do we... Uh, as Christians, look at the effect of the technology on us and do something about it. It strikes me that about the only Christian group I've seen that has actually done it, to both some advantages and disadvantages, is the Amish. And although you think they're a Luddite, they actually purposefully avoid the automobile to not disrupt the close social interaction that gets with not being able to move that far away from the community. It's a thoughtful decision, rightly or wrongly. That's right. And the Amish, I think, provide an excellent model. Um, the, uh, the way to look at, uh, one way to look at Amish is that they're very contradictory, that you'll see them using electronic calculators, and yet they won't, uh, they won't own a car. Or they'll put telephones, uh, they may put a telephone booth at the end of their lane rather than having one in their house. But in fact, 
uh, the decisions that the Amish make about technology, in, in the sense that the Amish community makes de decisions about technology, are based on very specific Christian principles, such as community, as you, as you talked about. So uh, the telephone booth at the end of the lane um, is based on the fact that, as we all know, having a telephone in the house is very disruptive to family activities. They know that. They understand that. And so they will use, they'll make, take advantage of the technology, but they distance it. That's kind of put a, they put a boundary on it, as I've talked about. So I think that uh, turning to the, the Amish Ordnung, the, the, the rules that they have, the governing principles that they use, provides a, a very good model for Christians. And since they are Christians, that's a very natural model that we as uh, non-Amish could use. So I can't resist, but... Uh, this is why Apple computer uh, mice only have one button. <laughs> As uh, in the case of all technological de devices. So okay, that's a reduction of limiting complexity. Um, and I think that you can get arguments pro and con for the one button mouse. Um, there are some users... That going from, let's say, going from a Windows environment to a Macintosh, find the, uh, the one-button mouse very problematic. But all technological objects suffer from this problem of what a Lowell called ambivalence, that for every good effect that a technological object brings, there's also some evil. So if you, if you find stumbling over a mouse evil, that's an instance of the ambivalence of technology. Let's thank the speaker again. <laughs>